Come on up, Russ. He is, um, y'all who know Russ know. He is a major encourager. So be ready to be encouraged tonight. Be ready to be built up in your spirit and, um, and hear the truth about who you really are. Yeah. All right. Are you awake? Yes. If that didn't work, well, uh, stronger methods will, will be necessary. So, Bren and Suzanne uh, are away, but they'll be back next Saturday. Yay. And one of the values that Brent has really been um, really been strong about is giving the Holy Spirit a chance to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. So when we come up to repair something, we're we're still just waiting to see whether the Holy Spirit wants to do something else. And Jim, are we ready to record? Are we recording? All right, we're recording. And um, so. The Holy Spirit, as far as I know, and I've checked with the other elders, he, he hasn't really said do something else. So we're going to go ahead with, with what I've prepared. But I wanted to do something uh, else first. And that is, um, hmm, if you need a physical healing, I'd just like you not to come up front, but just come to the ro- one of the rows where you are. And, we're, and wow, I just... We're just going to uh, welcome King Jesus to walk through the aisles and and touch people. I'm not going to have any any um, mortal human beings ministering to you, but if, I just want to invite you. If you need physical healing, just come and stand in the aisles. Like Jesus is going to come walking down the aisles. Okay, he's going to come walk. So make room. Make sure there's room for him to walk walk through the aisles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And if you need to stretch out, stretch out. So I'd just like you to turn towards the aisle, because he's going to be coming down the aisle. All right? <clears throat> wow. So Jesus, we celebrate that you are king. And you are also our healer. And I, I welcome you. We welcome you to come, to come and walk among your people. Come walk among your people. If you want to hold your hands out, great. If whatever you, however you want to receive, we welcome you to walk amongst your people and rule and reign. Wow. Did you feel the atmosphere shift? Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you. We welcome you. You are the healer. And you love your people. And if you sense him walking by, I just encourage you to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Wow. 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 Since he's got, there's ministering angels here that are helping Jesus too. So I, I thank the angels. Wow. And for those who are listening to this tape, I just encourage you to receive like the people here. If there's something that, that you're needing, just stand up and let Jesus come minister to you. Wow. Still happening, so we're just going to let it continue to happen. anyone is being is seeing what's going on in the spirit if you raise your hand we might, I'd love to hear someone come up and 
and say if they're, what they're seeing. Wow. Hmm. Okay. I think that's, I'm feeling like there's been a release. So go ahead and sit down. Thank you very much. Wow. Some of you felt things, some of you didn't. The good news is it doesn't require that you feel something in order for Jesus to heal you. I think I may be a little hot, a little as far as the microphone goes. Hmm. So but let's all thank him, okay? Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you. Susan and I had the chance to go to a meeting yesterday, yesterday evening at Fred Long's house. It was um, friend Andrew Mutana from, from Kenya. And uh, he's, a, he's got a very gentle heart, but he has a passion for seeing God heal people. And, <clears throat> and I was hearing him you know, share, share again the passion and some dreams the Lord has given him about the dead being raised and everyone being healed. And I was going, yes, yes, I want to see that. And I also realized that physical healing, while it's really important, especially if you've got someone who's sick or dying or in a great deal of pain, so it's very important. It's not, it's not enough by itself, is it? I've heard stories of people, I've heard a story of a man who had a heart attack at church and God raised him from the dead and then he ran away from God after that. Can you imagine? <laughs> so being 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 miraculously healed doesn't necessarily um, cause us to get closer to God or or heal our hearts. There was obviously a heart issue, wasn't there? Sometimes we get scared that if God heals us, then He's going to expect too much from us, and we can't we we can't handle that. I think that's probably what happened with this man. So we want physical healing, and we also need to be wholehearted. And that's what we're going to focus on now is more about, about more steps to being wholehearted. You up for that? Yeah. All right. Okay. Trust in favor part two. Part one never got recorded, but I hear it was a great talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Trust and favor is a big thing. Uh, trust deals has a lot to do with our relationships, has a lot to do with how deeply we're able to connect. It's um, it's kind of a it's a primary thing. It's a big topic, and uh, how we grow in trust and working through trusting God are the two main topics. Small topics, yeah. But we're going to start out with another video. You got you like videos? Yeah. We're, we're going to watch a video. There we go. From uh, Brené Brown. Remember her? Yeah. The Power of Vulnerability. <clears throat> this is in a longer session that you, you could get online. Uh, it's not on YouTube right now. It's, it's a part of a larger series, about six hours, I think. In this segment, she talks about the myths of vulnerability, the gift of being, bef- being imperfect before each other, and also about trust. And vulnerability, and that's so. I want you to especially pay attention to that. But all these are worthwhile. So we're going to go and listen to Brené. Ready? And go ahead and keep recording this because at least it'll be on the podcast. Come on. Here we go. You turn on the lights, please.
And I think we all do that. But I think we, I know that worthiness is a birthright. That we have the right to be goofy and awkward and imperfect and be loved even more for that. You know, and it's been so, so that was, if you know, that was, I was was a lot of math up here today. So that was like four or five years ago since I came to the end of that really hard period. I'm still working on it all the time. But it's been amazing to me how the transformation, even in our marriage, where he's so much more willing to come home and say, I screwed something up at work, or I, I, I will say, you know, it used to be like if I got a bad review on Amazon or somebody was critical in a comment that, you know, if I wrote something on a blog post for Huffington Post or something, the people I loved would be the last people I wanted to see it. Like I would be ashamed more for my friends and like Steve to see it because I'm thinking, ah, oh, man, the gig is up. They're going to know I suck and they're going to be out of here, you know, and now to have this life where I can, that can happen and I can go, he'll be like, do you want me to kill him? I'm like, you know, that I can go and be just totally imperfect. And I think we don't do that with each other. You know, one of the, the, the biggest, there's a lot of tensions and a lot of paradoxes with vulnerability. And I think one of the big ones is it's the first thing I look for in you, but it's the last thing I want you to see in me. In you, it's courage. In me, it's inadequacy. In you, it's strength and lovability. In me, it's shame. You know, how many of you, when you, I mean, I asked this at the, at the TED conference, the TED conference this year, it was the first time I've ever been to. Can you hear me now? So leave the lights down. It's okay. Um, we're going to hear a little more from her, but I just wanted you to have a chance to process that. So the people who come up here like Nancy and just dance before the, and spin around like a child, how do you think Papa feels about that? He loves it. And we love it too, don't we? We, we love it when other people are childlike and, and, you know, and just free, right? Can, can you, could you get the picture of their little girl you know, dancing a crazy dance and not caring what anyone thought and how, how, how Brene loved her daughter doing that and then how beautiful it was when her husband said, well, I love it when you're like that. And did you catch what she said? She said, you know, vulnerability and goofiness is what we look for in others, but it's the last thing we want you to see in me. Is it, isn't it time to change that? At least with the people who, who we know really love us, right? So wanted to give you a chance to process. Wasn't that good? That would change your life right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So what about, so she talked about we have, I have one set of armor I put on when I go to work and I have a, actually have another set of armor when I get home with the people I love because I don't want, to, you know, don't want them to think poorly of me. So, so how do you feel about taking your armor off? About being goofy and free or honest about your feelings of vulnerability and hurt? With God? What about with God? What if you were goofy and free and vulnerable and talked about what hurt with him? Do you think you might have a, a deeper relationship? Probably so. And also with other people. So we're going to go and listen a bit more to Brene. Actually, this will be a longer segment. You guys ready? Here we go. And, but one of the things I thought was interesting that I asked the audience during the talk is I said, how many of you, when you looked up on the stage and saw someone being very vulnerable and sharing stories, how many of you thought of that as courage? And every hand went up. And I said, how many of you think of vulnerability in yourself as weakness? And every hand went up. You know, it's the paradox that when we see it in other people, so what does it take us to to move to that? The last myth um, that I want to talk about with vulnerability, and it's kind of the last thing we'll go over today, is that if I were to ask you, 
I want you to go forth and be vulnerable. I want you to really practice vulnerability tonight with someone or tomorrow. I see people going, huh? Is that part of the, I didn't pay for that. Um, What would be one of your first concerns that came up about being vulnerable with someone? Being judged, rejection, losing something. You were planning to have fun tonight. Does not synonymous with fun. I think it's so fun. So what all these answers come up to minus fun, um, rejection, losing something, getting hurt, not being respected, whether they'd get it, breaking confidentiality, not fitting in, which we're going to try to let go of anyway, but belonging, jeopardizing belonging, which, oh my God, is rails against our DNA. What I think a lot of that boils down to is trust. There are trust issues around vulnerability, right? Um, How do I trust you're going to get it? How do I trust that I'm not going to lose something? How do I trust? And so when I was really getting into the trust literature, because I, 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 I spoke with a congregation in Charlotte last year, and it was this incredibly moving experience. No, it was earlier this year. Really, this whole congregation wants to try to implement wholeheartedness as a congregation. Episcopal, and I'm Episcopalian, so it was at their church. And... Um, they're like, well, we don't know about this. We don't, I don't know. We trust each other enough. First, we have to trust each other. Then we can be vulnerable. So the myth is that you can trust without vulnerability. That you can set up some kind of litmus test that if you pass all these things, then I can trust you enough to be vulnerable with you. And it's not, it's a very chicken egg proposition. Um, and the best way I think that I have found to describe it comes back from Ellen. Um, when she was in second and third grade, she had a teacher, Miss Bauckham. And Miss Bauckham had a marble jar. And every time the class collectively made good choices, they would put marbles in the marble jar. And every time the class collectively made bad choices, i.e. substitutes, marbles would come out of the marble jar. And if and when the marble jar got to the top, she threw a party for the classroom. So it was called marble, the marble jar. Well, Ellen comes home to me one day in third grade and is just sobbing after school. And she had confided in some, she had confided a very embarrassing story to one of her girlfriends. And by the time recess was over, everyone knew. And she said, when she came home, I will never tell anybody anything about my life again. And so my response, it was the first time she'd ever had an experience with betrayal right? And so my, of course, first response was like, hell no, you won't. That's exactly right. You know, lock and load. This is my, my, my job is to pass this down to the next generation. Um, generation number six. Um, and so I said, you know, I said, oh my God, that's really hard. And we talked about it. And I, you know, and she said, I don't understand. And I said, do you have friends who you've told things to before where they've really honored and respected your trust. You know, they've really, they held your stuff really in a precious way. She's like, yeah. And I said, and I was trying to think about how do you explain trust to people? Trust is a really hard thing. And then I remembered the marble jar and I said, trust is like a marble jar. It's not like I'm going to tell you something, the deepest, darkest secret of my life and then see what happens. What's going to happen is I'm going to share small pieces of my life a little bit at a time with you. And I'm going to fill up that marble jar. And when that marble jar is full, that's what trust looks like. It happens over time. It happens slowly and it grows. And she goes, I had, you know, it was a great response. She goes, oh my God, I get that. I have marble jar friends. And I said, tell me about your marble jar friends. And so she told me about, you know, Hannah and Lorna, and she told me about her marble jar friends. And I said, why do you trust them? And she said, because I've shared things with them that they have never shared with other people, even if it would make them more popular. And I said, that's a big one. And she said, and 
when the popular kids ask them to sit with her, them at lunch, they only will do it if they can take me. And if they can't, they sit with me. I was like, that's it. And I said, and what are some of the things that they do that you feel like are adding marbles to the marble jar? And I thought her answers were so brilliant because they lined up exactly with John Gottman's research on trust and betrayal. She said, they're small things. And I said, like what? And she said, they have their moms call you when I don't go to school to see if I'm okay. They know that my grandparents are Oma and Opa. And they'll say, oh, are you going to be at Oma's house tonight? They know if Charlie's sick, my, her little brother. Um, and I thought, you know, that's what trust looks like. John Gottman tells a story when he writes, and he's an incredible relationship researcher whose work is, I think, profoundly important. But when he, he tells a story about trust with his partner, and he said that he was really excited about finishing a mystery novel that he was reading. And he said that he went to the bathroom to brush his teeth, and he was just super anxious to get back into bed and finish this novel. And when he walked into the bathroom... His wife was kind of standing in front of the mirror and looked really sad. And he said, and there was just this moment where I was like, I don't even want to ask. I just want to brush my teeth and read, find out who killed who in this book, right? And he said, but those, he calls them the sliding door moments. Like from the movie Sliding Door with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like these moments where little, they're little moments. And so he said he stopped and he stood behind his wife and he grabbed her hairbrush and started brushing her hair and said, tell me what's going on. You know, that's trust building. Do you know what I mean? Those little moments, like how many of you honestly would put a marble in the marble jar if someone did that? Right. If they stopped and said, hey, tell me what's going on. You know, and so trust is not a sweeping gesture. It's a lot of little things. You know, and Ellen asked me, who are your marble jar friends? And the truth was, it was very similar. The small things were like windy. Because even though I travel a lot and it's hard for my friends to keep up with my schedule, she knows when I'm supposed to be at home. And if she sees my parents, she'll be like, hey, Deanne, how are you, David? How are you? Like, didn't it mean something when your friend knows your parents' names? And they say hi to them. And it's like, you just feel like, like you cared enough to pay attention. And these little, little marbles. Go ahead and turn the lights up. Wasn't that cool? It really made it clear, didn't it? Yeah. So truth is truth, and you could feel that, didn't you? you know, our God is, the, we have the spirit of truth in us, and you could, you could recognize that. And this is part of this, why we're talking about things like this, is for each of us individually, but also how, how do we li- live as a family where we grow in, grow in trusting each other? It doesn't, as she, as Brandy Brown points out, it doesn't happen overnight, um, in the, the first talk I gave, I included a clip from um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where, where Indiana, in order to, to get the Holy Grail, has to t- take this big step across the chasm. Remember that? It didn't look like anything was there, but it was, a, it was an optical illusion and there, and there really was something there. You guys, I'm dating myself. How many of you guys remember that one? <laughs> and sometimes we think that that's the kind of trust we're supposed to have all the time. And that is scary. And sometimes we do have to have big trust when big things happen, right? Trusting God with big things, scary things. But most of the time, trust is built one marble at a time. And that's a good thing, isn't it? You've probably all had some sliding door moments, and I'd like Susan to come up and share... It's, I think it should be on unless you switched it, Susan. One of her sliding door moments. There we go. Oops. Come on up. Okay, so this is uh, vulnerable. Speaking of being vulnerable, this was actually something that came up for me in a sozo. Because I need sozo sometimes too, you guys. Even though I'm the leader of the sozo. 
acting. My, um, I need those times too of helping, my, you know, getting my heart opened up some. And I'm going to come up in front of this because I don't want to stand behind it. Um, so what happened? I was raised in one of those families that um, didn't do emotion, um, did a lot of shaming and blaming and criticizing. And I mean, how many of you can relate? There was no tenderness in my family of origin. If I was physically hurt myself, I was going to pretend I was fine. I broke. I just broke my collarbone, but I'm fine. <laughs> Because it usually meant you get, you just you felt worse if you opened up your heart and expected somebody to be tender or you know be 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 kind or gentle because that just did not happen in my home of origin. So the memory that came up in this sozo really really surprised me because it didn't seem it was not a big deal, but yet it was a big deal. So the memory was like this. Um, I was at our, my neighbor's house, and we, I was raised in one of those, you know, suburbia sort of home um, blocks where I knew every, we knew everybody on the street, so it was a very safe um, place. Um, I was over at my neighbor's house, and I was probably four or five, maybe, sitting at the table with my friend Kenneth and his mom, and we were coloring at the table. It was just a very Bland little moment, apparently. Well, she started telling him his colors. That didn't seem like a big deal. But to me, because I'm thinking about what that would have mean in my home of origin, I was feeling like she was putting me down, criticizing me for not knowing my colors. And I started getting, I mean, you know, I was a little kid. But anyway, I started getting angry because she was telling, and I'm like, I know my colors. Why are you telling me what the colors are? You know, because I was just, for whatever reason, thinking that she was putting me down and trying to tell me what the colors were when I knew what my colors were. He was a little younger than me. He didn't know his colors yet. And I got so angry, through a little hissy fit, I threw myself backwards and the chair landed on its back. And now I am mortified. I just threw a fit. I just threw a temper tantrum in front of this neighbor lady And now, of course, she's going to shame me. She's going to yell at me. She's going to send me home because I'm a terrible person. But she sits there very calmly and just explains to me. I was just explaining to Kenneth what his colors were. I know you know your colors. Now, that wasn't that big a deal, but yet I was so expecting the sky to fall in that moment because that's what I was used to. And just her willingness to just accept me and be present with me when I was acting badly did something for my heart. And in that sozo, Jesus showed up in that moment and let me know. You know, at your worst moments when you're acting out and you're maybe acting in a way you wish you hadn't have acted, I'm just going to be there. It's not going to it's not going to upset me. It's not going to make me mad at me. I will just be with you and I will accept you and be present with you. And no, she didn't get up and come over and hug me and make it all okay, but she was so calm and so present and so patient. She really did communicate the love of God to me. And honestly, I I went um she's still alive. I actually went to visit her a few years back. She's still my mom's neighbor. And I knew she wouldn't remember that memory, memory, but I was able to tell her, you know, thank you for being so kind and accepting. And I know she's actually, she is actually a believer, so even though she didn't talk about God to me in that moment, I could feel the love of God. And I just want to let you all know that sometimes that is enough for, to be with someone when they're just feeling bad or they've done something really stupid just being with them. We don't have to fix it. Sometimes the best thing is just to be there and accept. It can be such a loving and, and, and ministering thing to be. Go ahead and take that down. Thank you, Susan. Now it's your turn. I'd like each of you to get in a two-person group. 
If you, if you have a spouse, it might be more fun to do it with somebody else, but I'm not going to break up any marriages here. <laughs> but it might be more fun to do it with someone you don't know. What I'd like you to do is each of you share one recent story about something that someone did that put a marble in your trust jar. And if you can't remember something recent, remember something from somewhere in your life. Okay? And uh, so take turns. Do that first. And then, uh, if you can, I'd like you each to share a sliding door moment, which was a more, maybe a more significant moment where things really changed, like Susan's story, because of how you or someone else responded and acted in a life-giving way. Okay? So remember, we're going to go both directions. You may start now. Go ahead and stop the recording. Of the power that you have to put marbles in other people's jars, right? You know how it feels for you to think about how how the impact that you have on other people, on on how how what you do, how you respond, how you take care of people's hearts affects them. So, well, that's right. We forgot to mention. Thank you very much. I'm glad people noticed anyway. Our offering um, boxes are to the left and right. And uh, we keep going here and doing things for God because people faithfully give. So thank you. We had a lot of things. I gave Susan a lot of things to do for the uh, transition. So it kind of got lost in the process. We're not going to cover everything tonight, I don't think. But... Wanted wanted to share a little bit from the last talk to remind you about how we can grow trust with others, or another way of saying it, some things that can put another marble in the trust jar. You all ready? Okay. Put on your seatbelt. Trust grows. Trust from others grows when we handle feedback well. I remember I shared this last time and there was, there was a couple of, ugh. Because, you know, especially at work, we get feedback from someone, especially our boss. You know, it's a little scary, isn't it? We, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vulnerable thing. But you know what? If we, if we respond well to the feedback that our boss or coworkers or clients or customers give us, instead of, you know, going, ugh, I don't know, none of us do that, right? (laughs) Uh, If we respond well to feedback, that helps them trust us. It helps you trust someone else if they respond well to your feedback, doesn't it? You go, oh, we can work together. Or maybe if if we don't respond well, they kind of start thinking, "Mm, maybe we can't really connect, right? So that's a big one, and it's a hard one. That's why I warned you to put your seatbelts on. Okay, trust grows when we demonstrate we value the well-being of the family or community more than personal gain or promotion. So when you're in, you know, uh, your own family of origin, um, at a, a workplace, at a church, in a community setting, if, if we demonstrate by our behaviors that we actually, we actually care, care, care more about the family as a whole, the community as a whole, then people grow to trust us as well because we're taking care of what's more valuable. <clears throat> trust grows when people see they are valued and protected. I know that sounds simple, but we sometimes forget how important that is. Trust grows when we... Okay, put your seatbelt on again. When we work through conflicts... oh no the c word conflicts it does it does doesn't it if if we work through conflicts well almost always trust is going to grow in fact trust will actually be stronger in a relationship where we have worked through conflicts because the bond has been Tested and and uh, we realize that we can we can actually stay together and work things out. So we're going to trust 
that that's going to happen the next time there's a conflict. Now that it's happened, now that it's worked out well once, right? Yeah. <laughs> you doing okay, Mark? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this gets kind of personal, doesn't it? I meant this, Mark, but wasn't checking on the other Mark. Um, okay. It trust grows when we communicate with kindness and honesty. Jesus is full of truth and grace. And when we're like him, we communicate with kindness and honesty, which are just kind of different words for similar meanings, then people are going to grow in trusting us because they know we're, we're being real and we're also taking care of them. Trust grows when we are authentic and vulnerable with each other. Does that mean that we automatically share our deepest, darkest with people the first time we meet them? No. Our marble jar isn't very full yet. (laughs) And Jesus himself said, um, don't throw your pearls before swine. And I believe that's partly what he's talking about, is don't share things that are vulnerable and valuable to you with people that aren't going to devalue it. Susan, I ask Susan how things are going when she, at, at, at work a lot, and she comes comes back and shares her stories, and it's it's a great experience for me to hear stories from from um, from the office. And uh, sometimes Susan comes home and says, "You know, I was willing to be really vulnerable with that person, and they did not value it, and that hurt." So, but was but it's still. It's, it's still better to risk some vulnerability than none at all, by the way. But sometimes it does hurt when we, when we misjudge how much we, we can trust somebody. And trust grows when people really know that their heart has been heard. Which is kind of related to handling feedback well. When people feel like they've really, their heart's been heard, they're going to trust you more. Is this good? Making sense? Okay. Trust grows... Okay, put on your CFL again. When we clean up our messes. <laughs> Wouldn't the world be a much better place if everybody just acknowledged and cleaned up the messes they made? Or even asked for help. Hey, I made a bigger mess than I can handle. I need some help. But rather than just kind of pretending it didn't happen or they had nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's kind of kindergarten stuff, but it's, supply, it's applicable to all us grown-ups too, isn't it? And also trust grows when love motivates, motivates us instead of fear. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? If we're afraid and we're doing everything we can to just protect ourselves and put up walls and, and, and uh, push you back, then trust isn't going to grow very much. Probably the opposite. But when love motivates us, then that helps the walls go down and helps the trust to go up. We were created to learn to trust early in our life. In Psalm 22.9, the Bible says, But you are he who took me out of the womb the author is speaking to God. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. We were created to learn to trust early. And part of that is um, what Danny Silk calls the trust cycle. Anybody read Danny Silk's book, uh, Keep Your Love On, or, or watch any of the Defining the Relationship videos? Yeah, there we go. I, newly married people, they watched it very good. <laughs> Brian and Tara, Yes. Danny Silk talks about when we express a need and something's done to meet that need and we feel this relief and our trust grows that, are, 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 that it's going to be a safe environment for us. Babies don't have a lot to give, but they have a lot of needs and they're usually not afraid to let us know about it. <laughs> I have a granddaughter, so I'm being reminded about that now. New, new baby granddaughter. Um, 
But where we cannot do anything else for somebody, we're being taken care of, aren't we? And if it's a healthy environment, when we're hungry, we're going to be fed. When we're uncomfortable, we're going to be changed. When we're cold, we're going to be warmed. And that helps build trust. And the same thing is true in our our regular relationships. If 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 someone expresses their needs to us or we express our needs to someone else and we're something we can reasonably do to meet those needs, trust is going to grow and there's going to be relief and, and more connection. But stuff happens. How many of you have had stuff happen? Stuff happens in our life that wounds and deeply challenges our capacity and willingness to trust. That's just reality, isn't it? <clears throat> so we, most of us are in the process of learning to trust again at some level or another. This is from Danny Silk. He posted this on Facebook. I have not yet. It may be in one of his books. I haven't found out where it is. But it's so good. Learning to trust again was an ability that Christ gave us through his work on the cross. Jesus went to the cross to avenge the stolen innocence and broken trust we all inherited after the fall. And when he declared that we all had to be born again, he was saying, we are going to start this trust thing over again. We are going to start this trust thing over again. I am placing you in the Father's arms where you are going to experience unconditional love, acceptance, and care. He is going to meet your needs when you cry out to him, especially your need to be loved. He is going to meet your needs, especially your need to be loved. Here your heart will be satisfied. So Danny then notes, having trouble trusting again? Do you know whose arms you're in? Did you know you're in daddy's arms because Jesus already made a way for that to happen, for you to be born again, really reconceived again and born again? Yeah. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. People will let us down. Circumstances can be pretty harsh. But Daddy's always going to be there. Papa God. The Father, as Jesus called him. Abba. He's where we can go. We can tell him our needs and he will take care of us. There are a lot of scriptures about trusting God. For thus says the Lord, said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning to me and resting in me, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trusting confidence shall be your strength. That's from the Amplified Bible, Isaiah thirty fifteen. In returning to me and resting in me, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trusting confidence shall be your strength. Job said something pretty radical. In Job 15, he said, Though he, God, slay me, yet will I trust him. Even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. So Job said, you know, I trust he's going to take care of me. But I'm still going to plead my case. I'm not going to just be silent. I'm going to talk to him about what I don't think is is quite right. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you folks heard that when you were a kid? Yeah. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. 
You are my hiding place. You remember that song? You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. I'm going to zoom on through. Trusting God. Hmm. Just wondering whether I should open this up right now or not. We'll go a little bit. We probably aren't going to get all the way there. Probably the biggest challenge each of us faces from time to time is trusting God. Anybody willing to say, yeah, 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 yeah. The enemy's chief aim is to cause us to question our God's goodness, isn't it? So what helps you to trust God in the midst of the challenges to that trust? Tried and true helps. Remembering the ways that God has come through for you in the past is a really good idea, isn't it? He's, God spends a lot of time in the, uh, with the old, in the Old Testament talking about remember this. Remember when I took you out of Egypt. Remember the mighty works that I did. He says, all the, and there's these monuments they build. Crossing the Jordan, they made a monument. Remember that? So that's an important thing for each of us when we are going through hard times is to just remember the monuments of the things that God, how God has come through for us in the past when he has, when he has done things for us. Because we're often in situations where, right, where it's easy to forget that, isn't it? <clears throat> Cultivating gratitude and thankfulness for both little and big gifts and kisses every day. So, and that, having gratitude and thankfulness is really powerful, isn't it? <clears throat> Sometimes we just don't feel like that, though, do we? We'll be real. Yeah. It turns out when we start expressing thankfulness and gratefulness, it actually increases the intensity of our emotional connection with whoever we're being grateful or thankful to, including God. There's actually a neurobiological reality there. So being thankful is a really good idea. Letting him in. Tasting and seeing that he is good. This is not simply based upon intellect or will. Tasting and seeing, experiencing. And where we have a deep emotional mistrust of God, there is usually a part of our heart that is holding past trauma and feels alone. Sometimes we can read all the scriptures, we can recite all the verses, and it just doesn't get to that, that deep emotional place where we're not trusting God. Has anyone had that happen to you? Where you, you run through the scriptures and you reminded yourself and you listened to the tapes or the CDs and the MP3s and, and you're going, well, yeah, I've got that. If you will, of the, the left, my left brain's getting that, but my emotional brain, it ain't buying it. Anybody had that happen? <laughs> we can be real here. <clears throat> and um, we're going to go just a little longer. If there are parents here, you'll need to pick up your kids. But we won't be much longer. I think about five minutes, okay? Can we hang out for five more minutes? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so what do we do? when our, We know the answer, but our, our, our emotions and our heart aren't with, it, aren't with us. What do we do? Go ahead and bring your kids back in here, by the way, if you want. Okay? What do we do? We go to Jesus. Often there are parts of our heart that need to experience Jesus being with us. Experience Jesus being with us, like being kind, being safe, being strong, bringing truth that sets us free. So the answer is Jesus. But it's letting Jesus into the vulnerable, tender um, parts of our heart that aren't feeling safe. And there's a challenge to that. 
We have an internal protector. Has anyone been aware of that? If you've done sozo, you probably may have. We all have at the, at the, a part of the core of who we are that is dedicated to keeping us alive. And it rises up to protect us from perceived threats, both emotional and physical. So, it ha- and it happens real fast, right? Somebody ticks us off, something happens, and we, we kind of, you know, the adrenaline rushes in and we go, Rrr. We're, we're, we're activated, right? We're, we're fighting for our life or we're running for our life. Um, it's a very deep um, kind of primitive part of our, our makeup, isn't it? <clears throat> and it comes up for emotional threats as well as physical ones. And this protector, which is part of who we are, is suspicious by nature. You can almost say that they're paid to be suspicious. <clears throat> But they desperately need to experientially know and trust Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is much better at assessing and responding to challenges with life-giving responses than our self-protective nature is by itself. Our internal protector often just you know, just kind of has an off-on switch. I'm either, or I'm out of here, or, or not. And Jesus, Jesus is able to understand what's really going on and what the appropriate response could be. Does that make sense? And Jesus is confident that even physical or emotional devastation cannot separate us from him. So he's not worried about our survival because he knows the core of our being is safe with him. Yeah. So unless Jesus is welcomed deeply into our emotional self-protective heart, if unless he's welcomed in, we'll keep responding as though our self-protection is the only thing that matters. But when Jesus is welcomed in, then things begin, begin to shift. Our emotional responses begin to be based upon our security in Jesus. So what does that look like? When we are more focused upon Jesus than upon self-protection? Well, for, for one thing, we start looking like Jesus. Did Jesus um, ever act out of self-protection, you know, in a, a harsh or irrational way? No, he didn't, did he? And I think this is part of what he meant when he said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He was saying, if you stay with your, your primitive self-protective mandates, you're going to miss the real life that I have for you. But if you choose to let me into that emotional self-protective area and let me come and partner with that, it'll seem like you're losing your life. But you're going to find a real life with me. This doesn't happen overnight, though. You may remember an earlier Brené Brown video, and she kind of referenced it this time. For her, it was about a year. She realized that she, she needed, instead of being self-protective... She needed to learn how to be vulnerable. And she said it was a drag-out, knock-down fight for about a year. If you, if you remember the original one, I think that was really what was going on. Because her counselor was calling it a spiritual awakening. So there was a spiritual thing going on there. And that's true for all of us. It may not, it's probably not going to happen overnight. But we can choose to, to process this with him and, and start, to allow him, start to allow our protector to know Jesus, our internal protector, and, and start to find out what it would be like for Jesus to, to be leading us in that area of our life instead of just our own rules and our own judgments and our own fear. So I'm not going to have you do this um, now, but I, I invite you to do this as soon as you'd like, to do an exercise and invite your internal protector to meet Jesus 
and to see how strong and wise Jesus is at helping navigate both internal and external vulnerabilities and threatening situations. I've talked to a few people who have had started having dialogue with their protector, and things are starting to happen. So I'm not sure what that will look like for you, but I hope this has been helpful. And I, I bless you on your, each of our, your journey and my journey in trusting Jesus in the deepest parts of our heart. Amen. Thank you. And I'd like the uh, the prayer team to come forward.